This is the Truth Hurts Program with your host, Steve Z, telling it like it is. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the Truth Hurts Program with Steve Z. It is the 24th day of June 2020, just about a week since the Juneteenth made-up holiday that was put into federal holiday status by Gropey Joe Biden. Employees at an Atlanta IKEA store said the menu in their IKEA cafeteria is accused of being racially insensitive and none of the people who created the menu were black. Here we go. A Georgia IKEA store has now apologized for its effort to honor Juneteenth with a menu that included dishes supposedly associated with racial stereotypes about Blafrican Americans. The Atlanta branch of the European furniture giant reportedly emailed staff Friday about its plan to commemorate the annual Juneteenth holiday, which marks the long-delayed arrival of news about enslaved people's emancipation in the state of Texas two years after slavery was abolished. The lunch menu was set to include items like fried chicken, watermelon, mac and cheese, collard greens. 20 employees reportedly walked off the job to protest the menu, according to an IKEA spokesperson. To honor the day, a lunch menu was created with the best of intentions, including recommendations from black co-workers, the statement read. We got it wrong, and we sincerely apologize. Several people claiming to be anonymous employees told CBS 46, the local television station, that that menu was racially insensitive and ignorant. One person identifying themselves as a black employee said, You cannot say that serving watermelon on Juneteenth is a soul food menu when you don't even know the history. They used to feed slaves watermelon during the slave time. That's what one worker told the station. Another one said, It caused a lot of people to be upset. People were actually wanting to quit. People was not coming back to work. Staff members also accused IKEA of creating the menu without consulting any black employees, though the retailer claims it did get recommendations from some black staff. Following backlash, the store manager issued an apology and revised the menu. However, employees charged that the original dishes were still available the day after the holiday. They just delayed the menu by day, one person said thinking that everyone who was upset by the Juneteenth menu stayed home on Juneteenth and wouldn't notice, which just added insult to injury. The revised Juneteenth menu reportedly included collard greens, cornbread, mashed potatoes, and meatloaf. The IKEA spokesperson said the chain would work to ensure the holiday was commemorated more thoughtfully next time. They said, We value our co-workers' voices and changed the menu after receiving feedback that the foods that were selected are not reflective of the deeply meaningful traditional foods historically served as part of Juneteenth celebrations. We are committed to educating ourselves and putting a process in place that will allow us to thoughtfully honor Juneteenth in the future. Give me a Fargan break. My God, they will find racism in anything. There's a black man on the corner of U.S. Highway 51 at U.S. Highway 22 right now selling collard greens, watermelon, Creole tomatoes, and cracklins 
fried out pork skins on the side of the road in a trailer. There's nothing at all racist about offering foods that black people do tend to enjoy because I see them eating those foods all the time. Would they have preferred Ikea serve some Swedish meatballs and some egg noodles with brown gravy and perhaps some sautéed French-style green beans? Give me a break, you freaking race-baiting, pandering clowns of the Blafrican-American 13% AA hyphenated American minority. You make me sick. A 12 to 13 story tall condo building, residential condominium building near Miami, Florida, reportedly has been subjected to partial collapse and reported to have killed one person and injuring several others. The cause, of course, is not known as of this time and is under investigation. It is similar and very eerily similar to the collapse of the Hard Rock Hotel building that was being constructed in New Orleans, which partially collapsed about two years ago now, killing three construction workers. We'll let you know if we hear anything good on that. Meanwhile, gropey Joe Biden and the senators have agreed to about a $1 trillion so-called infrastructure plan. This according to the Wall Street Journal. It says President Gropey Joe Biden and a group of centrist senators agreed to a roughly $1 trillion infrastructure plan, securing a long-sought bipartisan deal on overhauling the nation's transportation, water, and broadband infrastructure that lawmakers in the White House will now attempt to shepherd through a closely divided Capitol Hill. Gropey Joe Biden mumbled, stumbled, stuttered, stammered, muttered and puttered today when he said we had a really good meeting to answer that question we have to deal we all agreed none of us got what we all wanted I clearly didn't get what I wanted they gave me more than I think we're maybe inclined to give in the first place drafts of the agreement called for 579 billion dollars of your money above expected federal levels totaling 973 billion dollars over five years and $1.2 trillion if continued over eight years. Lawmakers discussed financing the package with a mix of public-private partnerships, existing federal funds, and revenue collected from enhanced enforcement at the IRS. In other words, watch out for more and more audits because the IRS will need to gather money to pay for this massive boondoggle in Capitol Hill. Lawmakers said Wednesday they reached an agreement on an overall framework for a deal with some details yet to be worked out pending Gropey Joe's agreement. Susie Collins, the Republican of Maine, who's barely a Republican, and I say a Republican in name only, said she agreed on the price tag, the scope, and how to pay for it. It was not easy to get agreement on all three, but that agreement was essential. Lawmakers from both parties hailed the agreement, saying it demonstrated that bipartisanship is still possible in D.C., Joe Manchin, Democrat, said it's, I think, a tremendous opportunity for us to show the rest of the world that we can still get big things done in a bipartisan way. Many Democrats have called for the party to wield their narrow control of the House and Senate to push through a separate, much more broad package that incorporates many more of Gropey Joe's $4 trillion agenda. 
but other centrist Democrats said they favored a bipartisan product, and even Chuckles the Clown Schumer said the Senate will simultaneously move forward with both the bipartisan agreement and the larger bill, basically telling the Republicans to go pound sand. Democrats might be able to skirt the 60-vote threshold for advancing most Senate legislation through the reconciliation process, but without the support of Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, even that is unlikely. House Speaker Naughty Nasty Nazi Pelosi said on Thursday that the House will not take up the bipartisan agreement until the Senate approves the package through the reconciliation process for $4 trillion. She said, I said there won't be an infrastructure bill unless we have a reconciliation bill. Plain and simple. So, as much as Gropey Joe would like to think that there can be bipartisanship, true hardline leftist progressive socialists like Nazi Pelosi and Chuckles the Clown Schumer will all but ensure that it cannot and will not happen. In the pared-down bipartisan bill, a lot of gropey Joe Biden's original $2.3 trillion infrastructure package has been left on the curb, including the lie that home care, housing, workforce development, child care, and education are actually infrastructure when everyone with a, an ounce of common sense knows for a fact that those items are not infrastructure and should be passed on different separate legislation. Many Democrats are eager to approve elements of those proposals. Bernie Sanders says he is floating a $6 trillion package that Democrats could consider through that reconciliation product. That, my friends, will bankrupt the U.S. economy and sentence your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren at a minimum to decades of massive tax increases. We shall see. The stalemate in Washington continues. A wrongfully convicted former Minneapolis City police officer named Derek Chauvin faces sentencing tomorrow, Friday, in the death of the criminal thug animal George Floyd who died of heart conditions, health issues, and a drug overdose while he happened to be in police custody, fighting, flailing, resisting arrest, kicking, screaming, and for nine minutes laid upon the pavement with the knee of Officer Chauvin planted on his back near his neck to try and restrain the animal from trying to escape. The judge will be weighing prison terms which experts say could be in the range of 30 to 40 years. Officer Derek Chauvin, age 45, was wrongfully convicted in April of second-degree unintentional murder, of third-degree murder, and of second-degree manslaughter for allegedly pressing his knee against Floyd's neck for nine and a half minutes as the black man lied, saying he could not breathe. You know, I know, basic biology and medical science knows that no one can not breathe for nine and a half minutes and remain alive. So the man, the criminal, the thug, the animal, George Floyd, was obviously breathing during that nine and a half minute encounter. Under Minnesota state statutes, Chauvin will be sentenced only on the most serious charge, 
of which he was wrongly convicted, second-degree murder, because all of the charges against him stem from one act with only one victim. The maximum for that charge is 40 years. However, legal experts say there's no way he'll end up with that much. Case law dictates a practical maximum Chauvin would face at about 30 years, double what the high end of state sentencing guidelines suggest. In other words, it should be 15 years, but because this is such a racially charged case, the judge will be feeling more and more compelled to give him the upper end of things. Anything above 30 years risks being overturned on appeal. Of course, the cowardly, pandering, piece-of-crap judge Peter Cahill could sentence Chauvin to much less. You and I both know that won't happen. Prosecutors have asked for 30 years. Defense attorney Eric Nelson is seeking probation. After all, Chauvin has a flawless record, right? Maybe one other charge against him for which nothing ever happened because it was probably a lie? Mark Osler is a professor of the University of St. Thomas School of Law. He said both sides have staked out extreme positions and the gulf is huge between them. I don't think either side is going to end up getting what they want. Which begs the question, what is realistic? Minnesota has state sentencing guidelines created to establish consistent sentences that don't consider factors such as race or gender. And that's the way it should be. For second-degree unintentional murder, the guideline range for someone with no criminal record goes from 10 years and 8 months all the way to 15 years, and the presumptive sentence is in the middle at 12 and a half years. Cahill last month agreed with prosecutors that aggravating factors in Floyd's death might warrant going higher than the guidelines. What aggravating factors? Floyd was resisting arrest. Floyd was wild on drugs, including fentanyl and methamphetamines. He was uncooperative. He was argumentative, spitting, kicking, biting. There's no aggravating circumstance against Chauvin. The aggravating circumstance should be against the criminal thug. Anyhow, Judge Cahill found that Chauvin allegedly abused his position of authority and treated Floyd with particular cruelty. Really? He was trying to arrest a criminal. The criminal was fighting and resisting. What was Chauvin supposed to do? Untie the cuffs and say, oh, I'm so very sorry, Mr. Floyd. You go right ahead and keep on committing crimes, you criminal thug. The other contributing factor in the opinion of the judge is Churin witnessed the act in progress. And the Churin could have been traumatized by this. He also wrote that Chauvin knew the restraint of Floyd was dangerous. No. Cahill wrote last month, actually, I quote, The prolonged use of this technique was particularly egregious in that George Floyd made it clear he was unable to breathe and expressed the view that he was dying as a result of the officer's restraint. Well, of course the thug animal is going to use any excuse he can to try and break free. He breathed for nine and a half minutes. It was obvious he was breathing. You could hear him inhaling and exhaling and inhaling and shouting, Oh, Miss Officer, I can't breathe. He was breathing. Professor Osler said Cahill's finding of aggravating factors 
showed his willingness to go above the sentencing guidelines, but he said those guidelines still function like a tether. The further Judge Cahill moves from the guidelines, the more the tether stretches. He said a 20 or 25 year sentence is more likely than 30. But anything above the guidelines triggers the appeal process and with good justification. Because if we're using race as a basis for sentencing, that's racist. It is racism defined. Joe Friedberg is a Minneapolis defense attorney who's been watching this case, and he agreed. He cited the U.S. Supreme Court case Kuhn versus United States, in which the court said a judge could consider that a former police officer would likely spend much of his sentence in isolation for his own safety. And Judge Cahill might take that harder time into consideration to give Chauvin a little less actual time because isolation is a harder prison sentence, supposedly, than group incarceration. I would think if Derek Chauvin were put in the general population, he'd be killed in a couple of days. This whole point would be moot. Minnesota sentencing data for the five years from 2019 backwards show that of the 112 people sentenced for the same conviction as Chauvin, only two got the maximum 40-year sentence. And both of those cases involved children who died due to abuse, and both defendants had prior massive criminal records and ended up striking plea deals to keep them out of the electric chair. The longest sentence during the time period for someone with no history like Chauvin has no criminal history, was 36 years, but that too was a case involving the death of a child due to abuse. That sentence was appealed and upheld with an appellate court finding it was not excessive because a 13-month-old child was beaten to death. Attorneys on both sides are expected to make brief arguments. Victims or family members of victims can make statements about how they've been affected, but none have said publicly that they will. Oh, ever since my criminal thug animal brother George Floyd is dead, I don't have to worry about bailing him out of jail no more. I don't have to worry about him showing up on my doorstep all drugged up and drunk up and all messed up like that. It's actually been a blessing. And the fact that we, the rest of the family, got a $27 million settlement. Shoot, I don't even care much about nothing else now. I got my new gold tephuses, I got me a new ride, I got some spinning wheels on it, got me some thumping bass up in my radio. Shoot, I got me a new house with a swimming pool. I ain't worried about no sentence. Chauvin can talk if he wants, but it's not clear that he will. Experts say it would be tricky for him to talk without implicating himself in a yet pending federal case, which is accusing him of violating the criminal thug George Floyd's civil rights. While some experts say he won't talk, Mike Brandt, another defense attorney, says he thinks Chauvin will speak and that he can say a few words without getting himself into legal trouble. If I was him, I think I'd want to portray myself as a person who is not a monster. Community members can also submit impact statements online and those will become part of public record. Judge Cahill will look at the arguments submitted by both sides, as well as those impact statements, community impact statements, a pre-sentence investigation into Chauvin's past, and of course any Chauvin statements that might be made. When judges hear from defendants, they are typically looking to see if the person takes responsibility or shows remorse for the crime they've been convicted of committing. 
No matter which sentence Chauvin gets in Minnesota, it's presumed that a defendant with good behavior will only serve two-thirds to half the time in prison. The rest would be on supervised release, commonly known as parole. That means if Chauvin is sentenced to 30, he'd likely serve 20 to 17 behind bars, as long as he doesn't stir up any crap in prison. Once on supervised release, he could, however, be sent back to prison if he violates any conditions of his parole. Since his April conviction, Derek Chauvin has been held at the state's only maximum prison in nearby Oak Park Heights. That's unusual. People don't typically go to a prison while waiting for sentencing, but Chauvin is there simply for security reasons. He has been on administrative segregation for his own safety and has been in a 10-foot by 10-foot cell away from the general population for fear that the other criminals in there would kill him because they know he was a cop and he be done killed himself a black man. His meals are brought to his room. He's only allowed out for solitary exercise about an hour a day. It's not clear where he will serve his time after being sentenced. The Department of Corrections will place Chauvin in prison after formal sentencing orders commit Chauvin to its custody. Such a shame. The lies and the racism involved in convicting this police officer for simply doing his job in which a criminal with a long, long record of felony convictions and drugs in his system was committing a crime, resisting arrest, fighting, attacking officers, and the cop goes to jail. That is the America we're stuck in. And that's the truth. And unfortunately, in this instance, the truth hurts. Get ready for World War III. According to Newsweek magazine, a Pentagon insider has warned gropey Joe Biden against a major war with China, and he did so in an open letter. A Pentagon employee under investigation for pinning opinions and editorials in a Communist Party newspaper wrote an open letter to gropey Joe Biden warning against entangling America in a major war with China over Taiwan. Franz Gale, a 64-year-old former United States Marine, once praised by then-Senator Biden for his whistleblower efforts back in 2007, told Newsweek that he approached China's state-owned tabloid Global Times as a last resort after his articles were rejected by other media outlets. Gale said in an email to response on Thursday, My audience is American foreign policy decision-makers. His two opinion pieces, which ran April 27th and May 27th, included sharp criticisms of the U.S. policy in Taiwan, implemented by the gropey Joe Biden administration, including the officials and institutions that facilitate Washington's unofficial relationship with the democratic island of Taiwan. Mr. Gale is particularly opposed to the Taiwan Relations Act, the TRA the keystone piece of legislation that has guided U.S. engagement with Taiwan since 1979, when Washington switched formal ties from Taipei to Beijing. Mr. Gale's arguments against continuing U.S.-Taiwan relations center on the prediction of heavy loss of life in a potential conflict with China, which he says America will certainly lose. Gale also believes the People's Republic of China has a rightful claim over the sovereignty of Taiwan and that it will employ any necessary means to bring that island under its control. This is a view shared often in Beijing. 
Gale said in a response, From the time of its enactment, the TRA has placed us on a path to eventual war with China. Gropey Joe Biden was once a Democrat senator for Delaware, voted in favor of that legislation more than four decades ago. In his open letter to the president on Wednesday, Gale suggested he was punished by the Defense Department for publishing his views in the Global Times, the Chinese publication. He wrote, Predictably, I paid my price as my security clearances have now been suspended for cause and I am now the subject of a counterintelligence investigation. In a statement to Newsweek, Marine Captain Andrew Wood said the proper approval process for the publications were not followed. The views expressed by Mr. Gale, he said, are his own and not representative of the U.S. Marine Corps. Wood added, identifying Gale as a science and technology advisor currently employed by the Marines. Both Wood and Pentagon spokesman John Supple offered no further comment about the ongoing investigation. Mr. Gale's 1,000-word letter warned Biden that he is at risk of entangling America in a major war with China over the status of the island of Taiwan. The Gropey Joe administration is an echo chamber created by a Taiwan caucus-led groupthink, he says, referring to the 163 lawmakers who make up the Congressional Taiwan Caucus in the House and the Senate's Taiwan Caucus in the upper chamber. Both are bipartisan and both have been established in the past 20 years. Whether by accident or by design, the Chinese Civil War reignites and threatens to escalate, Gale advised Gropey Joe, and that the U.S. should, quote, refrain from militarily intervening, unquote. He also says we should learn from our history in Southeast Asia and not shed American blood for yet another lost cause. Gale first revealed he was under investigation during an interview with the Washington Post published on June 11th. The U.S. government was seeking to determine whether Pentagon insider Mr. Gale had been compromised. Gale said he turned down compensation from Global Times for his opinions and editorials. The Communist Party paper ran an article about his open letter to the president just yesterday. The letter to Biden may be his last chance to have any impact on preventing war, he was quoted as saying. Chinese government outlets said Gale is certain that he is now in big trouble, but he wants to do the right thing while he still has the opportunity. Following Mr. Gale's Washington Post interview, a Global Times reporter asked China's foreign ministry about the Pentagon investigation, and the ministry spokesperson appeared back to back Mr. Gale, responding on June 15th, I think many people would want to ask, isn't the United States a self-proclaimed champion of the freedom of speech and justice? Francis Gale is under investigation just because he wrote two articles expressing different position from U.S. government. Why can't U.S. follow two articles clearly marked to represent the author's personal opinion? White House and the chairs of the two House and Senate Taiwan caucuses would not respond to requests for comments. Taiwanese experts who spoke to Newsweek said Gale's opinions and editorials aid the Chinese government's position. Those opinions misconstrue U.S. policy towards Taiwan and China, said Jessica Drun, a non-resident fellow at the Project 2049 Institute. She says, the articles claim the U.S. is deliberately fostering a policy environment conducive to Taiwan independence, whereas in actuality the U.S. has not and does not take a position 
on Taiwan's sovereignty. Chinese propaganda has worked relentlessly to try and reshape the narrative around U.S.-Taiwan policy, and the assertions play in and must be dispelled. Of course, some folks think Mr. Gale is a traitor, and that he's actively aiding and abetting a foreign power that his own government has labeled a strategic competitor. Other critics of Mr. Gale argue that the opinions and editorials show a deeply flawed understanding of the regional history and political realities on the island of Taiwan, which they think clearly belongs to Gropy Joe's China, his buddies, his pals over there. Remember, remember the Biden family has many business dealings in China that they keep covering up and hiding and sealing away from your eyes and mine. And they also did everything they could to call Donald Trump a xenophobe when Donald Trump tried to block travel from China at the onset of the China flu, the China virus, the Kung Fu Wuhan flu, better known as the Wuhan China novel coronavirus of 2019, which most definitely came from a Wuhan China virology lab and not from the bat in a wet market. That is going to be all the time we have for this edition of the Truth Hurts program. Go out there and make it a great afternoon, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. The opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Copyright 2021, The Truth Hurts Network.